everybody and welcome, welcome, welcome to the In the Numbers podcast. I am your host once again, Jarvis Hall, uh, Executive uh, Director of the East Metro STEAM Partnership, one of the 13 STEM hubs in Oregon. We are representing East Multnomah County. We are excited today. We have a very, very special guest joining us today. Well, we're going to start with our number of the day, and our number of the day is 1937. And 1937 is a special number because it is a result of the National Apprenticeship or the Fitzgerald Act of 1937 that we have minimum standards around registered apprenticeship programs uh, that qualify and are set uh, by the DOL to be part of the national apprenticeship system. And uh, having that number, we are excited today to bring on our special, special guest and give her a big round of applause for Pat Daniels, the executive director of Constructing Hope. Give her a big round of applause. We're going to bring her in here. Pat, how are you doing today? Good morning, Jarvis. I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me today. No, oh, I, I thank you for being here. I am excited to have Constructing Hope on. Uh, what a lot of folks who may not know about it, Constructing Hope is a pre-apprenticeship program. And it's, it's one that's very dear to my heart. Uh, my prior to my role here as, uh, as a director of, of the East Metro STEAM Partnership at STEM Hub in East County, uh, I had worked uh, for a number of years with the city of Portland and in the recruitment area. And we would, part of my role was to go around and uh, we found that the number one issue uh, in particular in getting uh, folks of color and other uh, underrepresented uh, communities uh, were not being hired in the city. It wasn't necessarily because they didn't have the skills. It's because they didn't understand that the city application and hiring process was different than what might be out there in the private sector. So a resume and cover letter that would work at, uh, you know, you know, John's Incorporated was not going to work at the city of Portland. And so we would go around and do workshops literally on how to apply for the city. Like it was like a, like it was own process. And some of the workshops I would do were actually at, uh, were with Constructing Hope uh, over in the, in the New Columbia uh, sometimes and, and doing some workshops there when I would have recruitments around utility worker and, and some of those uh, positions. And so it was always really cool to, uh, to go to Constructing Hope, talk to people who've been through the pre-apprenticeship program and then see them actually working in the city years later. And then of course, once you're in at the, you know, utility worker level, then, you know, folks were moving up to uh, construction equipment operators and, and other things like that. And, you know, going from a position where they, they might've been impoverished before to, to making a, a really good salary and doing some really good work. Uh, it was really cool to see that all the way from the beginning. 
but but first, let me t- turn it over to you and just uh, just talk a little bit about uh, constructing hope and and what it is and and what it does. And I know about it, but I want to make sure the uh, the folks at home know about it. Okay, constructing hope, as you said, is a pre-apprenticeship training program, and in pre, we found that, um, as you said, to enter a union or to enter construction work is a different process than your average application. When you apply, they're looking at your ability to do the work, but do you understand the culture of working in that industry? So Constructing Hope offers a free 10-week program. In that 10-week program, we're preparing you to get in, to enter the construction industry. So that all begins with safety. Our first week is just many safety classes because that's the most important thing about construction. So there's an OSHA 10 safety. We go through first aid and CPR. We give you a certificate in confined space because that's the one area where you may be working in a very small confined space. And maybe you don't know that you're claustrophobic because you've never had to do this before. So this training is really important to help you decide, is this the area that you'd like to be in? In addition to the confined space is fall protection. You know, when you're building buildings, it starts on the ground level, but a lot of times those buildings are going to go up 20 stories. So are you afraid of height? And let's get the safety training that goes along with working in that environment. The next thing we do is we want to make sure that you know about the various trades. A lot of times when people think about construction, the very first thing they think about is a carpenter because the carpenters are the people who do the building, but there's many, many aspects to building a building. So we're introducing you to what an electrician does and what part, what role they play in construction. The plumbers, what the laborers do. There's the sheet metal and HVAC. And so a lot of times this is the deal. Unless you've been introduced to all of these different areas, you have no idea that this is a trade that you like to do. But nine times out of 10, what we find out is this is a job that requires you to work with your hands And if you're that kind of learner where you um, like to do stuff and not basically sit and work just doing things with your mind, this is a great job. When I think about this, I would say back in the day, people had the perception that only people who couldn't do anything else went to do construction. But I have to say that's, that's, it's totally the opposite. You have to actually be very smart and good with your hands in order to do construction. And it begins with, as we talked about STEAM, it begins with math. Everything that you're doing in construction is mathematically um, designed. So math is one of the first components that we teach because nine times out of 10, when we're in school, some people, I hear them say, oh, I'm not very good at math. And I just say, oh, you didn't have a good math instructor because math is a lot of fun and it's quite challenging. And so, it's interesting once you put math in some things that people love to do. Uh, you know, I, I, I always tell people that, you know, people think that folks that, that you know, now that Oregon is, is really big in the, in the marijuana industry, you know, they're like, ah, oh, just, the, just the druggies going to that. I said, hey, if you want to meet some of the most uh, scientific STEM people, uh, you, you, you want to meet a botanist, <laughs> you want to meet a chemical engineer and a, a mathematician finance major, they're all over in the weed business. <laughs> like, it's not like those people aren't bright that are doing that. 
And some some people might think I'll get into construction. Anybody can do that. No, you cannot. <laughs> it is it is it's, it's you know it's it's about being creative. Is is there's so much involved in that process. And then I really like how you talk about just introducing people to those things. Like most people don't know there is a there is a there is a you know steam fitters or our commercial painters or uh, you know electricians or you, they think some of those things are out of their reach. Uh, but I appreciate how your program starts people on that track and say, okay, I can work towards being that. Uh, that that journey level electrician or a master electrician are are becoming a plumber and you know people might think a plumber who wants to be a plumber hey have your uh have have, have your sink or toilet go out you know yeah. at three o'clock in the morning during christmas time and the family's coming over and you got to call that plumber and it's five hundred dollars for them just to step in your door you start realizing ooh, man, I, I did that once i was like man i might have to start getting into plumbing because it cost me mm-hmm. five hundred dollars just to have them come in the door and tell me, yeah, yeah, your, your sink is stopped up. I know that. That's why I called you. <laughs> well, well, and you know what else? Just think about during the pandemic, who were the essential workers? Construction did not stop. No, Hospitals no, no, and construction was essential. I, I felt bad for some of them. They, they, they're like, hey man, y'all got to come build this stuff. It, it's, it's. <laughs> This is not going on, but uh, man, they're, they're essential. They're, there's money in there. I think one thing that, that I appreciated is uh, when you brought up the fact that while it still takes education, you still have to know math uh, and, and you still have to know, you still have to have uh, that uh, emotional intelligence, you know, uh, that EQ where you have to understand the industry of construction and the culture of construction. Uh, one thing I did appreciate is oftentimes with the STEM hubs and how we're, you know, we're all about education. A lot of people think that we're only pushing that you have to go to a four-year college and get a traditional degree and other things to be successful. And that's not the case, but you still have to have education beyond what you might've gotten in high school in order to be uh, successful, even in construction. So it's not just, ah, you know, I'm strong. I worked out. You know, I'm just going to go jump on a construction team. Uh, That's not how it works. It's not how it works. And what you hit on is construction, you know, in most of the trades, when you complete that trade, I'm going to just call out electricians. When you complete your your apprenticeship as an electrician, most of these trades have an, have, uh, an associate degree because they don't, they fail to realize that in the construction industry, as an apprenticeship is paid learning. So when you go to your job, you've got to get an education and then you get to apply for that job. You hope that you get it. In construction, you enter the trade with the basic knowledge and they're going to pay you to learn. So you're going to go out and work so many hours, then you have to stop and go to school. Then you get to re-rate, you go back out to work again. And in between that, you're going to stop and go to school. So what they look for, what your goal is to become a journeyman, a journeyman just means that you've completed whatever the three years or five years that it takes to be an expert in that trade. After that, you think about like any other business, your next step is management. Well, there are some more classes that you can take that they're paying you to go to for you to move into a leadership position. So now you can move into a foreman or into a superintendent position. 
at the same time you're getting paid for this training, which is the opposite of what I did. I thought traditional rule says you gotta go to college, went to college, I have a lot of college debt, but I'm still working and paying that student loan 20 years later. These folks are not paying any student loans. But you're, you're, pay, you're paying a student, didn't Biden get rid of? Okay, let me, let no. me not get, let me not yeah, get don't take me there. on here, that might. You know, well, I want to make sure. Let's now both keep our jobs out here. Let's not <laughs> let's not go too far uh, on that one. <laughs> but that that is one thing that, that is amazing to think. And I want to talk about uh, talk about your your journey here uh, in a bit. Uh, but I do think that's really interesting that that not only do you have to go to school still, but you get paid to do it, which is a lot different than because definitely my route, I'm still paying. So I definitely understand that uh, this concept of somebody paying you to go to school actually sounds uh, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, but I also wanted to, to make sure that, that folks realize that uh, one, this has to be, be something that you're interested in. Because when you said earlier, hey, are you, are you afraid of the smaller confined spaces? Are you, are you afraid, of, are you afraid of, of heights? I would have said yes and yes, which meant I would have been out the program real early. Uh, but uh, one thing, uh, just from my personal experience, is I remember I was doing a, a, a information session for utility workers, and it happened to be at the, at the we we're hosting it at the Water Bureau. There were some some folks that were from Construction Hope there, and a couple other uh, programs were there. And I still remember, uh, I still remember someone saying it was a group of folks, and they were asking me about my job at the city and how I worked and. No, you know, my work conditions, which at the time were in a cubicle. I was in a cubicle for, you know, most of the day, unless I was doing a presentation. And their whole thing was, man, I don't see how you could work in a cubicle. That is crazy. Uh, and I'm sitting here thinking like, man, I don't know how you could be out on the road in this, in this 95 degree weather uh, or, the, <laughs> or in the ice or snow and stuff. They're like, I couldn't imagine working inside. And I'm thinking the whole time, I can imagine working outside. Uh, but uh, in that, know that you can have the, the, the work kind of environment that, that you like. And it doesn't, the, the fact that you might not have went the traditional college route, A, one, you're still going to get that, uh, that education through uh, the construction process, especially the further up uh, you would like to go. Uh, but even if you do that route, it doesn't mean you have to be uh, you know, necessarily stationed in a cubicle, you can go out and 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 get these skills and and get this training and, and work in, in construction, and and it can look different for different folks. Well, there's many levels, and so when you get to the higher level of construction, you know, there's an architect. You know, there there's somebody's got to design the building, the architect and the engineers. So those are the folks who are also in the office, but they spend a little bit of time out on the, out on the job site because they're designing the building. So I feel like the one thing about construction, any area that you want to be in, it's, it's a whole broad career all in itself. There's, there's many facets of, of construction. Yes, yes, and I'm excited. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. Let me take a quick sponsor break. This episode of In the Numbers podcast is sponsored by the East Metro STEAM Partnership. And we're announcing the 2021-2022 
Student Investment Challenge. Uh, students must be at least 13 years of age and attend a school in one of the school districts in East Monomah County. Those include Park Rose, David Douglas, Centennial, Gresham Barlow, Reynolds, Corbett, R. Monomah ESD. Uh, students who fully participate will receive the Student Investment Digital Badge and be eligible for a variety of prizes, which include gift cards and a account for the Oregon College Savings Plan. So if you're interested in this challenge, please visit our website, eastmetrosteam.org. That is eastmetrosteam.org and look up Student Investment Challenge. Thank you very much to the East Metro Steam Partnership for sponsoring our episode today. Now, bringing back uh, Pat to talk a little bit more about constructing hope and all the really cool things that you're doing there. But first, let's let's talk a little bit. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to know just about your your student loans, but uh, obviously uh, that that investment in yourself got you to this position where you're leading this organization. So, can you talk a little bit about you know kind of your your STEM journey? I know you don't necessarily see it directly as as STEM, but you are a part of the STEM world. Uh, now that you're hanging out at, at, at Constructing Hope. So what, tell us how your, your journey kind of got you here a little bit. My journey got me here, and I'm gonna, it starts a very long time ago in the 70s when I graduated from high school. Had two good friends that wanted me to become an electrician because their families had been in the unions and I didn't know anything about it. I came from a single parent household. My dad died when I was three, so my mom never remarried. And that was something I was not aware of <clears throat> about being in a union job. And they really talked to me a lot about it. But my mom had gone to college and that was a journey for me to follow in her footsteps. So I did. But I can say um, fast forward now from high school going to college, um, my friends were electricians. And to see them move through the IBEW um, and the rate of earnings that and how they moved through the system, basically. Donna Hammond and Keith Edwards were two of the first black people that I knew to work to go to work for IBEW. Donna has gone on to be the business manager after being in the trades, moving up through the ranks. Um, Keith Edwards moved on to not only be the business manager, but to become the international business representative for IBEW. I found that amazing to see that they moved through that point. Um, on the other hand, I got to Constructing Hope because Irvington Covenant Church started a ready-to-work program, and they found that um, they were doing it for African-American men who had been formerly incarcerated. Remember, before we banned the box, I used to be in HR for the Port of Portland. One of the things that I learned there, and this is not to put down the Port of Portland because every organization did it. If you had a felony on your record, you always went into the no pile. We only look for that box. So during the course of working for Irvington Covenant, we worked on the Ban the Box campaign because that was one thing that for formerly incarcerated people, which is who Constructing Hope targets. This is how Constructing Hope got started. We were targeting formerly incarcerated men and trying to help them re-enter society. Construction was the one area that did not have a box. They wanted to know, were you capable? Were you interested? Can you do it? And, and so, real, and real quick for folks that don't know, uh, can you just talk like one minute about what Ban the Box was? 
expand the box is that little box that was on every application that says, do you have a felony? So when you apply for a job anywhere in the state of Oregon, the box is there that says, do you have a felony? Until we remove that box, those people never had a chance to apply because their applications always went in the no field. So the church itself looked and did a little survey to say, how who would hire someone who has a felony background? And the construction industry was the one area that said, we don't care about your background. You know, can you can you fit into this box and into the work of where, what we're trying to do? Working with your hands, being out in the elements, having good math skills, and we're going to teach you everything. As we looked at that, it was a perfect match. So we established a program that focused on teaching math, teaching life skills, teaching hands-on, teaching basic building. So um, that's basically what we do today, in addition to uh, a green training component along with the safety certs. The caveat to the whole thing is, it's not just about training, it's also about placement. So um, if you look on our website, which is at www.constructinghope.org, you will see that we also have direct entry with trades. This is about starting a career in the trades and having support. So we support the folks coming into our training that complete, we support them for the next three years to be successful in the trade. Since we are in the numbers, we wanna make sure to throw out some numbers that uh, without uh, apprenticeship programs or prior to apprenticeship programs, uh, pre-apprenticeship programs uh, really starting to flourish in, in uh, the country and even our area, approximately 20%, um, uh, a little bit less than 20% of uh, formerly incarcerated individuals would actually make a living wage um, after their release. So to give you an idea of, of that. So 80% of folks who were incarcerated were not making a, a, a living wage after their release, which of course is what is often the, the number one factor in recidivism rates of yes. folks because they're not able to find gainful employment. And uh, I was definitely I was at the city when, when Ban the Box uh, uh, really came out. There are a lot of managers that were worried about it uh, in some instances. Uh, but that was one thing I appreciate about uh, some of those more uh, uh, constructing type positions like utility worker and carpenter. Those skilled positions, uh, especially the ones that were more skilled, uh, they were just they were hard to find people who actually could do it. And then the other positions. It was hard to find people willing to do it. So right. uh, it was like, hey, can we get somebody who either can do it or just wants to do it? Um, and, and often it was those folks who were um, who, who, who got training to be able to do that. And so that's one thing I appreciate about your work. You know, and, and an even ahead. more important thing is that if, if you had a, before we banned the box, you had to be out for 10 years so if you've already served eight years, now you got to wait 10 years in order for the felony to be accepted by the rest of the world, that's setting you up for recidivism because nine times out of 10, the people are going to go back to, you have to make money some kind of way. So the system was set up for you to, to return. Yeah, that was so all often seen of as a what they call the, the second sentence that you would have. And then yes. I believe at that time, that's when, uh, uh, that was when, uh, I think you were Roy J from. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I that's when they. I worked with Roy J. 
to expunge people's records. Yeah, yeah, that was back when a lot of that started because that was the reason that folks were giving was, hey, you know, it, well, if they didn't have this on their record, then we would we would hire them. So, I, you know, folks like Roy J and, and his his project locally here in Portland, uh, and then uh, you know, the Black United Fund I think was doing some things around that as well mm-hmm. to help uh, expunge folks' records because that was becoming an issue. I mean, it was already an issue, but it was uh, it was that second sentence. You served your time, uh, especially for those folks who were uh, nonviolent crimes and even uh, and things like that, uh, where where we're often uh, banned for from employment. And so, uh, and nine times out of ten, that was our low income people. Yeah. So Very- this construction was truly a way because you think about right now and in the last year. Um, starting wages is not lower than $20 an hour. So when you think about to start a job at $20 an hour and above, because if you get a job that's prevailing wage, some of those jobs are starting at $32 an hour. Now, Can you, you know, talk the a culture, little bit about, I know prevailing wage, I want to make sure that folks know. So what is, when you say prevailing wage, what, what, what does that mean? Prevailing wage is a living wage, and that's just another way of saying it. In the construction industry, because of the type of work that you're doing, it's a living wage that is, um, what's the best way for me to explain it? A living wage that is a percentage of what a journeyman makes when they're an expert at doing this work. And so um, it creates um, an entry level to say that this is the minimum amount that should be paid for anybody doing this type of work. We talked about the extremities of you're gonna be working outside. You still have to have the math skills. You gotta be there at 6, 6.30 in the morning. So most of us are not even up at that time and people are at work to work in the elements. And so when you put all of those things together, that's a little bit different than the pay you're getting to work in Safeway. That's the best way that I can explain what is prevailing wage. It is a wage that is a percentage of a journeyman's Wait, uh, wages that would be paid for the work that you're doing. There's so one thing that 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 I like is that uh, things like prevailing wage, and of course those OSHA regulations and things like that, are things to present to to are are, are things to protect uh, those workers. And so, especially when folks are bidding, uh, there there of course are private sector construction projects. Uh, but uh, but there's a, a lot of money uh, that that comes out of construction projects that are civic construction projects, either federal, uh, state. Uh, had a buddy who, who did a lot of stuff with TriMet on on their constructing projects. And when when individuals and businesses are bidding on these projects, uh, there's a tendency, of course, to try to have the lowest bid. And one way to have a lower bid is to uh, control your uh, your labor costs, and uh, by having a lot of these jobs that are uh, prevailing wage, are are, are union work, uh, it, it protects those who are the most vulnerable in these positions to make sure that they aren't uh, that that they're being paid a, a living wage, especially for the work that they're doing. Yes, and that is that is an amazing thing. So you, uh, and one thing I will note. Uh, especially since uh, you said Irvington Church uh, was a way that kind of got you involved. I do believe Jesus was in the construction field last time. He was a uh, carpenter. <laughs> last time I heard. Now, I don't know if he went through a pre-apprenticeship program, uh, 
per well, se. Well, actually, pre-apprenticeship was who taught him. You know, that's really where it came from. Remember, those trades are passed down from the father that, to the that son. Is true. That was the apprenticeship. Right. So he might have, they might have been constructing Hope Jerusalem that, <laughs> that he might have went to. Uh, you know, might have went to the Nazareth one. It, 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 you know, there, there yeah, a so someone there taught him and then he had to pass those skills down to the next person. And then over time, people are innovative and continue to perfect it. Just like now we're talking about STEM or STEAM. So now we've moved into um, building efficient buildings. So when you talk about STEAM, it, that's the part of the construction part is now we've moved from just building buildings to now we have building efficient buildings, green buildings. So now everything is moving into this whole green economy now. Yeah, and, and, and that's one thing is you're always gonna have to build something. So uh, that, that that's one thing. If you ever look at, uh, you know, folks are thinking about different jobs and what might be available and, and what might be, uh, you know, they're, they're worried about AI kind of taking over some things and uh, you, you're seeing that in the manufacturing area, but you have not seen that yet on a large scale in the constructing area. Uh, and so you're, you're still seeing that need for human labor uh, on the construction side. And it doesn't look like that that's going to change any soon. It's actually uh, changing, even though there's more equipment that's involved now. Uh, I spent some time with the uh, Northwest College of Construction uh, a little bit uh, as they helped us with some recruitments. It was interesting seeing uh, just even changes to stuff like a, a, a dump truck or a backhoe a forklift, you know, now versus when it was, you know, 20 years ago, they, 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 even the controls are different on a, on a lot of the equipment, uh, but to see some of those changes, but to still see that need for the actual physical labor to be a part of it. And it's not something that's necessarily taken over by machines, but that computer element is starting to become a little bit more in the process. Do you all have some, some, some training around, uh, you know, some of those computer processes or are, are, are no, like that, um, the way our training is set up right now, the computer process that we're doing is with COVID, everything has moved online. So we're doing online training. So we are providing laptops or Chromebooks for our participants and they will they get an introduction to computers because everything that we're doing is online with the exception of hands-on training. So they're learning how to schedule. They're learning how to use Word and Excel. They're learning how to use their computer to do research papers. And then the computer is theirs to keep because as you move up in the trades, remember, you're still going to be taking classes. So we're hoping that they'll use those Chromebooks to continue to be successful because when they're in the class, they actually have to write a paper about the trade that they're going to go into. Because one way we know that you know, this is, this is what's funny. When we start our class every, every term, people come in, they've looked at the wages. I want to be an electrician. I'm going to be a plumber. I'm going to do this. Okay, so while you're in the training, we'll introduce you to six or seven trades and you get a hands-on training at those trades. At the end of the class, everybody that was gonna be an electrician is now going to sheet metal. The folks who said, I'm really gonna be a carpenter starts out as a laborer. So it's amazing to see that I'm excited that people find where they really wanna be. Because, because what you're she, looking at before- because sheet money. metal looks cool though. Cause you get to wear the mask and you have the, uh, what's the torch called? The uh, and whatever it's called, you got the torch. Yeah, the torch. Yeah, and, 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 it, and it looks cool. <laughs> you know, uh, first thing I think of an electrician is I'm about to get electrocuted. That's the first thing 
I think of. And I'm like, I don't want to nowhere near elect. Uh, no, I don't want to touch electricity. See, like, no, because I've never met an electrician that hasn't been shocked. So uh, between that and all my trade classes in high school, which I wish uh, they would put back more of, uh, and, and some schools are, are are doing some of that. Uh, some I think schools it was do really, have the CTE. Yes, I think it was a big problem with uh, with Measure Five years ago. Kind of changed how we how we looked at funding and and how we 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 did some of that. So, but the the CTE element has has helped a lot. Uh, the community colleges being engaged in and a lot of that helps also. But but really, uh, you know, I I. I would do that one. Sheet, sheet metal definitely sounds very cool. Electrician, definitely stay away from because I'm not getting electrocuted. Uh, but I always felt like plumbers made the most. Always, that, like that was one I'm like, if I could deal with all the literal crap, I might want to think about that one. But there are so many of them. And, and, and don't forget about what, the heavy equipment operators. Oh, those, oh man, that that takes me back. Those are those are fun times. Uh, but I do realize that it is amazing just how many, how much people just aren't exposed to and right. how many people in the unions uh, uh, for years, years, it was often generations that were in, in the unions. You know, we thus, had a name for that. <laughs> it was called fathers, brothers, and in-laws. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's who was in the meeting hall. It was always somebody's brother, somebody's, uh, and that's why I also appreciate the work of of, of Oregon Trades Women, uh, because it was it was often male dominated. It was always you know sons, uncles, uh, nephews, etc. That was how it was passed down. And well, now we're going to have mothers, daughters, and sisters. No. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I'm I'm all in for it. I think it's I think what's beautiful, and I think you touched on it a bit uh, just a second ago, is to see the faces of people when they find something that they truly love and they're accepted at and they can support their family with. When you have all those come together, it is amazing to, to watch. You know, I will say the greatest thing that I've had, I've seen in the 16 years that I've been at Constructing Hope is we make jokes about this fathers, brothers, and in-laws. And that was the goal for us is to have fathers, brothers, and in-laws. And we have fathers, brothers, and in-laws that are graduates of our program now where fathers have come in. We have a youth program. The sons came into the youth program. They then came into the pre-apprenticeship and entered the trades. So it, that's my greatest thing is to see that. But even more than that, this is the one trade where you can move through and become a business owner. In the last 16 years, we have nine people that have started their own business. And I'm not talking about a mom Let's, and pop. I'm talking about that, they have a license. Hope, it's a business. That because entrepreneurship is my thing. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. But okay. let, me, let me sneak on this last uh, sponsor read because we have to pay the bills here at the Edit Numbers Podcast. We aren't doing this for free. We love to. Uh, but uh, we have to make sure to pay our bills. And today's episode is sponsored by the East Metro STEAM Partnership. Uh, they are announcing a 2021-2022 Student Investment Challenge, where students must be at least 13 years of age and attend one of the school districts in East Multnomah County to participate. 
That is Park Rose, David Douglas, Centennial, Gresham Barlow, Reynolds, Corbett, Armand Newman, ESD. Students will have an opportunity to have a virtual portfolio where they get to invest $100,000 in the stock market through about a six month challenge. And students who participate uh, fully, uh, which includes participating in the challenge uh, and completing assignments, as well as making various trades and managing their portfolio, will receive a student investment digital badge from uh, East Metro STEAM Partnership and be eligible for various prizes, including in a, a college, an Oregon College Savings Plan account. Uh, so please visit the website eastmetrosteam.org. That is eastmetrosteam.org for more information on the 2021-2022 Student Investment Challenge. Now, bringing back our our guest, uh, Pat Daniels of Constructing Hope, uh, who brought up, who said the the E word, which if this was uh, if this was uh, uh, one of those shows that would like, you know, just spark a whole thing. Whenever you say entrepreneurship, that's just like my my keyword. And it's the, the thing that means a lot to me because when we're looking at addressing uh, the racial wealth gap or addressing uh, uh, social economic mobility and things like that, uh, far too often underrepresented populations are prevented from the ownership side of the game. We're seeing that with with housing, uh, with 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 gentrification of folks being moved out, and uh, while housing prices are are rising, a lot of people of color and other underrepresented communities aren't able to uh, share in that growth. You talked about uh, there. Are, you've had nine folks who've went from the pre-apprenticeship program and are now business owners uh, and entrepreneurs. How how has that process been for them? And uh, I'm sure they're donating a couple of dollars back to the program, correct? Is that is that well, uh, something they're doing? And if they're not, tell me who they are so I can call them and tell them they need to donate. You know, it's <laughs> December, so they gotta they got they gotta make their donation to Constructing Hope. Well, they have a little bit of time. Um, <laughs> how it has worked out is just over time. One of the things that we do is we ask them for this ongoing relationship. So when you sign up for the program, we ask you for a three-year relationship. That relationship is to help you maneuver the culture and actually become a journeyman and help you move into leadership positions. So um, uh, it was just the point of keeping in touch with them. And when they decided that this was the next step that they wanted to do, we work with two organizations. One is the um, National Association of Minority Contractors, used to have a Metropolitan um, MCIP, Metropolitan Contractors improvement program. Oh, that was uh, a Tony, Tony Jones. Tony oh, Jones. Tony right Jones. So I we work some... with Tony Jones and then there's yeah, another I've worked group. with too many people. So that that you that, do, that you know everybody. Because I, I spent some time prior to this, I guess I spent time everywhere. I did time with uh, Ascent Funding, which was formerly the Abana Opportunities Program, which was the uh, the CDFI that provided funding for folks who couldn't get funded necessarily by a traditional bank. Uh, so mm -hmm. oftentimes we might've worked with, with Tony Jones over at, at MCIP and other places. And also I spent time at the Small Business Development Center. And so MISO. folks that, uh, not, not MISO, but I worked with the folks from MISO. So I've worked okay. with, with Nita and with, uh, uh, well, well, Nita's not there anymore, but when she was there, 
And then, uh, oh, what is her name? Uh, well, I can't think of her name right now. But, but I know who you're talking about because yeah. we work with them also. So, so I work with those folks. And so, I, man, it, it's, it's amazing how many, the, the, the degrees of separation uh, mm -hmm. in, in Portland can be very small. And then the last group was PDGB, the Portland, Portland Business Development Group. Those three organizations are the three organizations that we refer people to. MISO is helping you um, get your business license. Uh, PDGB and MCIP were to help you with training. So the estimating piece, if you needed assistance with just additional training to estimate your work, which is really important part. So you've learned math, but estimating your project to create a bid. So a lot of times, you know, yes, you work and you, you, you know some parts of it, but making sure that when you start a company that these guys have their paperwork solid, they have the proper training, they have access to uh, payroll information to help you get started, all of those kinds of things. So that was, that's the avenues that once we start working with you, then those are our partner organizations. We continue to work with you until you get started. Yeah, so you start taking some of those classes and writing some of those papers and then you start seeing, oh, wait a second, you know, I, I wrote a paper for this class. Well, I can write a bid for this, uh, for this particular thing. And I can, if I sat through the class at Instructing Hope, well, I can sit through the class to, to get the minority of women, uh, small emerging women minority and emerging small business designation. So I can bid for some of these uh, contracts too. And maybe, you know, I don't necessarily have to be employed by Stanska. Maybe I can subcontract. With, right. With so then we're putting you with mentors, you know, the larger men, the larger other organizations, larger organizations that can mentor you with those projects. They can they can actually bid a small section of the work for you to build your company. So it's it's a it's a serious strong relationship. I, I would say if if I could say anything, I would say all of this work is about building relationships. Right. And, and, and what would you say to, to folks who, who might be like yourself, who might have went to college or might have did some other things to think, hey, you know, I don't necessarily fit in construction per se, but when they, when they see someone like yourself who's building relationships, you know, not just with, with funders, but with organizations that are, that are helping people who, who they just think, I just want to help people. You know, what would you say to them if they were getting involved in, in this type of philanthropy type of work that is uh, centered around CTE and STEM and changing lives and stuff? What, what would you say to that person? Like, I, I'm going to start the next, you know, Constructing Hope or the next whatever. You know, would, would, would you, what, what, what advice would you have for them as they were jumping into this, this area from the, from the kind of program and nonprofit side of, of this work? I would say, um, you know, just the other day, I realized that the grant writer that I'm working with as a nonprofit, you're, you're only as good as your grant writer. So I would say if you're starting a nonprofit, that is a key part. The other thing is you really have to be committed. This is like my life work. I can't say that I start from seven to five. I work 24 hours a day because if you're committed to this work, uh, it's a lot on the front end to get started and building your staff. You have to be willing to put the time in to make it work. Um, so having a good grant writer and, and having a great mentor. 
you know, I've had a lot of people that mentored me along the way in creating the board. So creating my board was a sense of building, again, it's about building those relationships and knowing where is the important relationship that's going to create success for your business. When I turned that around, my first thing was I said I wanted to create training that was going to be good for both union and non-union. So I have direct entry with non-union and I learned everything about Northwest College of Construction and their requirements. And I built my curriculum with them around their requirements. Then I did the same thing with each trade. So just remember, if you're going to send people to an organization, you need to make sure that you know what that organization is looking for and how is your training going to match where you're trying to send them to. Let's see, that's probably the most important thing. And understanding, like for us, we target all low-income people. With low-income people, we know that they have a, a, a safety, uh, the weakest safety net. And I mean, like, if, if your car stopped today and you couldn't get to work, it's not as important as if you're in construction and we know that every person that's going to that job is, is imperative that you're there, making sure that you can meet the needs of your job. So one of the things that we do in our class is making sure that you can get somewhere at 6.30 in the morning, even if it's on public transportation. So just looking for the pitfalls and making sure that you can help them not fall into those pitfalls and have good relationships where you can actually talk through. So I would say at Constructing Hope, we have case managers. The case managers are making sure that everybody's needs are met. I have a job developer that's a separate person who's going to hand you off to the trade that you're going into and make sure that you're going to be successful in that trade and we check on you. And keeping the, the dialogue going so that you know that we're there to support you. I think that definitely resonates with a lot of the teachers who are going to be be watching this in, in East County, sometimes people focus so much on that curriculum. Or, you know, what's your curriculum and how do you justify your curriculum when so much of it is about relationships and, uh, and, and being empathetic to where people are in their life yes. and where they are in that spot and just letting them know that you care about them, but, but letting them know that, you know, let, let's find a way for you to be able to get somewhere reliably at 6.30 in the morning or at, you know, seven o'clock at night or, you know, hey, if you, if you have this going on, this is when you might need to be doing something. Well, when we wanted to open this up and make sure that people of color and women are included, we are the ones who are kind of at the bottom of the financial uh, um, graft. I don't know what else to call it, but at that level, if something happened, it changes our whole world, whereas someone else who has everything can't see that that's a barrier. So how do we look at barriers and know who you're addressing when you're dealing with low, people who are low income? You know, I, I, I don't have a car yet, so I'm going to have to plan for that. So in our, in our class, we have budgeting. And, I, and our first class is not how to make ends see each other. It's, it's not how to make ends meet. It's how to make ends see each other. Because if you just got out of incarceration, average person has been eight years. What are you coming forward with? And I'm not saying it to put them down, but I'm just saying like, remember this person is starting from zero. So we have to meet you where you are. And in some cases with, uh, you know, either court fees or supervision or, or, or uh, what's the, uh, the other Being term? on parole. Yeah, anything like, like that. Uh, Probation. Court fees or, uh, re, uh, not resuscitation, <laughs> but. Uh, we reinstate driver's license. Uh, 
Yeah. You know, so there is a plan to help you get your driver's license and a plan for you to help get your car based on your budget of what you're going to be making. But a lot of people don't see that 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 that's so much of your work is that social aspect of it, uh, because those are the things that often stop people from getting positions, not even just the knowledge of the trade or the work is, you know, for, 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 for many jobs. And I remember this from recruiting from the city, you had to have and you, you had to have a driver's license and you yes. had to have a and but the and then they would throw this on there. You had to have a driving license and an acceptable driving record. And so then it had to go back to what was an acceptable driving record. And so we, a lot of folks uh, were pushing to saying, hey, you don't necessarily need the acceptable driving record. Like when they apply, maybe they just need it by when they would actually start work. And those recruitments in those days would be, they would, they would do an eligible list for like two years for like utility work. So mm -hmm. they wouldn't have to keep running a recruitment. So if somebody applied today, they might not have an acceptable driving record, but in two years when they actually might actually get hired, they would. So we we tried to push for that language out there, but so much of that would would, would stop people from getting in outside of just the, the fact that they might've been incarcerated or had a felony and things like that. Uh, for some people it was having a permanent address. And if they huh. were in a in a halfway house or, or, or something like that, they didn't always have a permanent address that they could put on there. Uh, per se. And so there, there are a variety of things like that that were, were stopping people from even having the, the opportunity to be close to having the ends look at each other, uh, let, a, let alone think about being having to meet. But right now we have a labor shortage all the way around. And with and, that uh, labor shortage, it, now it's not, enough, have... it's, it's not enough of a shortage to have me make anything. Uh, I, was, I was so bad in wood shop that the, the the teacher in high school just said, look, Jarvez, just, just sweep up afterwards. Don't go anywhere near any of the equipment and, and you can pass the class. As long as you don't touch anything, because you're gonna hurt me or somebody else. And and we just don't want to, we just don't want to deal with that. So uh, so just stay away from the stuff. So it's not enough of a shortage to have me in there just yet. Uh, but we're seeing that in a lot of areas. I mean, they're they're changing requirements for their substitute teachers. Uh, uh, because well, of because of that, and so many folks uh, beyond just that they that there is a shortage. But a lot of folks are saying, "Hey, man, you can't treat me any kind of way." Well, we're talking diversity and inclusion now, <laughs> because a lot of these things were set to keep people of color and low income people out of those positions. So now we have to revisit all of those systemic barriers that we put in place. Were they really necessary? No, they were to shut a few people out, and now. We've had a swift change in how we have to look at things. Thank you, George Floyd, for stopping the world. Thank you, Lord, first, for stopping the world and making us look at each other and how we treat each other overall. So I feel like this is a serious cultural change and it's about time. So a lot of things that we used to do will not be anymore. Well, one thing I'm glad about, uh, we're, we're coming a little bit short on our, on our time, uh, I want to, one, thank you for being here. And I appreciate that times are changing. I appreciate that folks that are engaged in your organization are, are prepared for that change and are prepared for that opportunity. You know, they said uh, luck favors the prepared. And those that are going through this process, uh, I believe are, are, are definitely prepared 
to help meet those those needs for construction in the future, especially with how Portland is changing, the metropolitan area is changing. Uh, you know, the, we just got word about some some new uh, developments that are happening in the Gresham area, the Gresham 10 project, Rockwood Rising, a whole bunch of things out, out, out in East County. We're seeing so many opportunities. And to, to see that that people are going from pre-apprenticeship to, to, to journey, to foreman, to uh, in some cases, uh, entrepreneur uh, yes. and, and making big money. It is, it is incredible to see that. I've appreciated uh, Destructing Hope for a while. It took a moment to get you on, uh, but we finally worked out the schedule. Uh, definitely means we're going to have to have you back because I think there's a lot that we didn't get to. I told you the hour moves quickly. Uh, but is there anything that you'd like to, to say to people? Uh, we'll make sure uh, to, to show the website here uh, well, so that folks I, actually go to the website because we want them to see it. Uh, and you can visit this Constructing Hope. Yeah, go, go ahead and leave with it. I'm going to show the website to, just a little bit while you're talking to me. Okay. I would say look forward to seeing us in 20. 22, we're having our 15 year anniversary and we'd love to have you all join us. Um, our building no longer looks like this. We're putting up a new mural that we are changing the look and celebrating 15 years of being in service. So um, I would say, check out our website. We have a class coming up in January. We have four classes a year. We have an adult program and we also have a summer youth program. So we will offer our youth program this summer It'll be in July. We'll be taking applications in February. Our youth program is for youth um, 16 to 19. Once they complete the five-week uh, introduction, they have an opportunity, if you're 18 and older, to actually attend Northwest College of Construction or come into Constructing Hope Pre-Apprenticeship Training Program. But they'll have an opportunity to have a lot of fun doing those five weeks with a lot of hands-on building and being introduced to many trades. Well, that sounds fantastic. We're going to be, uh, I have a, a, a cousin who's that age who, who has an interest in construction. So uh, I'll be definitely sending him that information. And I know you're going to be sending that information to, to us over at East Metro STEAM Partnership. We'll disseminate that in East County because we want a lot of folks uh, to, to the, the flood your, your offices and say, I want to hang out uh, with Constructing Hope because I hear they're doing really cool things. Uh, Pat, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate all of your work. And I'm excited to see what you all are going to do in 2022 and excited for the new mural uh, that's, that, that's going to come up. I drive by uh, quite frequently, so I'm excited to see what, what that's going to look like. Uh, so thank you again. Uh, everybody, please give Pat Daniels, Executive Director of Constructing Hope, a big round of applause. And Pat, we're definitely gonna have to have you back on the show because, uh, like I said, we didn't we didn't even get into the thick of of, of some of the things that we want to cover. So uh, you enjoy the new year, let that new class start, uh, and then uh, we'll we'll have you back on here sometime soon. All right, thank you so much. My last thing in East County, I do have two partners over there: Oregon Tradeswomen and Portland OIC. So if Constructing Hope doesn't work for you, there's other program partners that will still um, we have the same structure to bring you in and introduce you to construction. All right. Thank you Thanks. so very much. And thank you all for joining us for the latest episode of In the Numbers podcast. I've been your host, Jarvis Hall. 
And we want you to make sure that you remember to stay in the number. Have a great day.